Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon out of Romans chapter 14, verses 17 through 18, and it's titled, What is the Kingdom of God? So there was this guy who uh, was having a hard time finding a job. And so he was looking in the want ads, trying to find uh, a job somewhere. And the only place that was hiring was the local zoo. And this guy's like, I don't know anything about caring for animals, but it's the only thing. I got to have a job. So he goes down there and he, he talks with them. And basically, here's what they tell him. Their prized gorilla had just died. And it was going to be a month before they could have a new gorilla replace it. And so they said, so what we need to do is we're going to hire someone, put them in a gorilla costume, have them act like a gorilla until the new gorilla gets here. And he's like, I just don't know that I can do that. And then they told him what they would pay. And he's like, I'm your man. And so they put him in a gorilla costume, and he's like, what am I supposed to do? Just act like a gorilla. So, you know, he gets in the gorilla cage, and he's out there, and he's swinging around, and he's running around, he's beating his chest, and just acting like a gorilla. And he really starts to get into it because people are sitting there, and they're pointing, and they're laughing, and they're clapping, and all that kind of stuff. And he's swinging through the trees, and he starts to do more and more tricks going through the trees until one time he does one that is so out of the box, he literally flies out of the box, out of the cage, into the tiger's cage. And so he's laying there in the tiger's cage. He realized what's happened. He jumps up. He's trying to climb the wall to get out of the tiger's cage. And the tiger comes and the tiger drags him off the wall, knocks him to the ground, pins him down with its paw, is right over the top of him, you know, growling. And there's slobber dripping off of its fangs. And this guy's screaming, help me, help me, somebody, please help me. And the tiger gets right down in front of his eyes. And about that time, a little man's face comes out and says, if you don't shut up, you're going to get us both fired. <laughs> if your neighbor doesn't get it, help him out. Would you do that? <laughs> Not everything is always as it appears. And that's what we're going to talk about today. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about Romans chapter 14. And we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And today, we're even going to take a little step back. And we're going to look at two verses of scripture that we read last week. But we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. So find Romans 14 verses 17 and 18. We're going to talk this morning about the kingdom of God. And not everything that is said that is the kingdom of God is actually the kingdom of God. There is a lot of misunderstanding, misconceptions on just what the kingdom is. But if you've got a Bible there, look with me. Romans 14, 2 verses 17 and 18. He says in 17... For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things 
is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, the outline's going to be really simple today, but it's going to be very, well, I would say much needed. First of all, I want us to see the kingdom of God explained. What is the explanation for the kingdom of God? We're going to talk about what it's not, and we're going to talk about what it is. First, the kingdom of God is not religion. It's not religion. See, religion is man's efforts to make himself acceptable to God. Religion is, okay, I've got this list. I shall do these things. I shall not do these things. And so God then is going to see what a good individual I am because I'm keeping my list. That's not the kingdom of God. That's religion. Matter of fact, Romans 14, he's been talking about there are some things that are absolutely right and some things that are absolutely wrong. You remember last week, the last two weeks, we've even said this, that when it comes to the essentials, there must be unity. What are the essentials? Those things that the Bible very clearly speaks about. Right things, wrong things, doctrinal things, that we all must agree on the things the Bible speaks of. But then there are some non-essential things that the Bible really doesn't, doesn't speak about or it's not real clear about and those things are a matter of personal conviction for the child of God as the Holy Spirit is working and moving in their life. So we said in the essentials there must be unity, in the non-essentials there is liberty, but in all things there must be charity. And charity is the new King James or the King James word for love. There must be love. So in Romans 14, he's sitting there and he's saying there's some questionable, non-essential issues out there that some Christians say are okay and some Christians say are not okay. And he said, let's not get bogged down on those things that the Christian life is not arguing about those things. And yet there are many followers of Christ that spend a great deal of time arguing over things that really do not matter. That it's not keeping a list. That's not the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It is knowing Jesus Christ. I look around and here's what I see when I look around the world. I see a lot of people that are really into religion. Whether it's the Baptist religion, whether it's the Methodist religion, whether it's Catholicism, whatever it is, I look around and I see a lot of people that are highly religious, but that's not the kingdom of God. There was a preacher preaching one time, and he was very proud to be a Baptist. And as he was preaching, he just... He just got so riled up and he just said, hey, listen, hey, listen, everybody here that is proud and has joy and is happy to be a Baptist, would you say amen? And everybody in the place, amen. I mean, they were the nine o'clock service. Amen. And, and oh, no, no, you don't say amen to that. Anyway, we'll have a course. Okay, we'll have a course. We get it figured out. He says, everybody that's proud and happy to be a Baptist, say amen. They said, amen. And then he said, and anybody who is happy not to be a Baptist, say amen. One little boy at the back of the church, amen. Surprised him, angered him. And he said, all right, son. He said, so, so you're, 
you're happy not to be a Baptist. And if you're not a Baptist, then just what are you? He said, I'm a Methodist. He said, oh, really? He was going to make an example out of him. He was going to embarrass him. He said, all right, let me ask you this. Tell everyone here this morning, why are you a Methodist and not a Baptist? He said, well, my mama's a Methodist and my daddy's a Methodist and I'm a Methodist. And the preacher said, all right, son. He said, I tell you what, how about you tell everybody here this morning, if your mama was a moron and your daddy was a moron, what would that make you? He said, I guess that'd make me a Baptist. Hmm. Goodness. It's not being a Baptist. It's not Methodism. It's not Catholicism. Religion will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Hear me. There won't be any Baptist in heaven. There won't be any Methodist in heaven. There won't be any Catholics in heaven. There won't be any Pentecostals in heaven. I made a comment like this several years ago and a little boy heard it and he went out and he told his grandmother who was very active in the Pentecostal church, my preacher said there'll be no Pentecostals in heaven. Now he left all the rest out. <laughs> and I got a very unchristlike email from her. Friend, hear me. The only people that are going to be in the kingdom of heaven are those who know Jesus Christ. Religion produces churches that are full of hypocrites who feel the need to put on a front in, in, in front of everyone else to make them believe that they are not struggling and they really are. That religion, instead of setting us free to serve the Lord, religion puts us in bondage. Religion fills us with guilt. And listen, finally, it fills us with futility. I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm never going to be able to keep this list. I'm never going to be able to measure up to God's list. I'm not going to be able to live in such a way that will make myself acceptable to God. But I'm going to try, and I'm going to try, and that is religion. Hear me, when he speaks about the kingdom of God, it is not religion. But I'll tell you what it is. It is a relationship. I told you this is so simple, you could have written it. It is a relationship. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, a passage of scripture that proves this very point and is so true. And it's going to sound familiar to some of you. Matthew 6, 33 says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All these things will be added to you. And so you say, okay, all right, you've convinced me. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to have the kingdom of God. How can I have the kingdom of God? How can I have all these things that will be added unto me? Well, he tells us there in verse 17 what that is. He says, it is righteousness, it is peace, it is joy in the Holy Spirit. That the life lived in relationship with Jesus, hear me, it involves a change of character, which brings with it a change of conduct. First, your character is changed on the inside, and then the Holy Spirit starts changing your conduct on the outside. Religion is it, it's, it's opposite of that. Religion says this, change the way you act so you'll be acceptable to God. 
Work on the outside so God will allow you in. That's not the kingdom of God. A relationship and Christianity says, my conduct changes because he saved me and he's working on me from the inside out. So the character changes, and as a result of the character change, the next thing you know, the conduct changes. And so it starts on the inside, and it works its way out. We see this all throughout the Bible. We especially see this in the life of a highly religious man named Nicodemus. Now, you think you're religious? Man, Nicodemus, he memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Nicodemus... He, uh, not only did he give his offering in the temple, but he also gave money to the poor. Nicodemus fasted three days every week. Highly religious. Highly religious. And the reason why religion is not the kingdom of God is we get focused on our actions and it blinds us to the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, I've been hearing all this stuff. Tell me about it. And here's what Jesus said to this highly religious guy. He said, Nicodemus, hear me. Unless you're born again, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, well, I mean, I I mean, how am I going to go back into my mother's womb? I can't, I can't do that. And Jesus is like, no, 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 we're not talking about being born physically. I get that you were born physically, but you need to have a spiritual birth. That's what it means to be born again. And so he says, Nicodemus, have you been born of the Spirit? That's the only way you'll enter the kingdom of God. The question I want to ask you this morning is the question that I ask everybody in the first service. And it's the very question that Jesus poses to Nicodemus. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Friend, listen to me. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've passed from death to life and you experience a new beginning in Jesus Christ? Upon the authority of what Jesus said to Nicodemus, this religious man, I want to say to every single one of you, if you've not been born again, you will not see the kingdom of God, nor will you enter into it. When you're born again, your character changes. When your character changes, your conduct changes. I was born physically, December the 24th, 1970, 51, in case you're not real quick. And when I was born, I inherited a nature from my parents. I look kind of like my dad did when he was my age. I act a little bit like my mom. I inherit it from them. It's part of my nature, my physical nature, my my genetic makeup. My 14-year-old. It's a spitting image of me when I was 14 years old. He says, oh, dear Jesus, please. (laughs) 
He was having a conversation the other day with his mom. Now, let me get this right now. Uh, the bald gene, that's from the mother's dad, right? I mean, your dad had plenty of hair, right? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he did good. Thank you, thank you. And I tell him, so did I when I was 14 too. I just think it'd be unfair for God to give me a full head of hair. That'd be unfair to the rest of you guys. We have that what? We have that nature, right? You get it from your parents. Well, likewise, when you're spiritually born again, you inherit the character and the nature of your heavenly Father. That you are changed. And that's the reason why Jesus said it's like being born again. September the 14th, 1980, I was born again. And on that day, God began working on my character. He changed me, right? He changed my desires. He changed my want-tos. And then all of a sudden, the conduct started changing. And all these years, he's still been working on my conduct. But that's the way the kingdom of God is. The true test of a Christian is not, have you ever been baptized? It's not, have you ever prayed a prayer of salvation? It's not, have you ever joined the church? Are you faithful? In it? That's not the true test of the Christian. It is, has your character ever been changed? And it led to a change in your conduct. That if there is no difference than you, between you and the person who curses the name of Christ, I'm telling you, you don't know Jesus. If you're the same person that you were before, quote, you were saved, then listen to me. You've not been born again. Has a change occurred? I'll give you an example. Pigs. Pigs like to wallow in the mud. We know that. We know how pigs are. Let's just say that we're there at my house and we look out in the backyard and there's a pig wallowing in the mud. Now, right now, I got plenty of mud in the ditch in my backyard. And he's out there and he's wallowing. And let's just say this. Let's say that my wife comes to me and says, Stephen, listen, look at that poor pig out there. We need to help that pig. That pig needs to be cleaned up and that pig can be a part of our family. And let's just say that I said, I think that'd be a great idea. Now let the record show. If you hear that I've said that, go ahead and put me in because I've lost my ever-loving mind. But I say, sure, let's do it. And we grab that pig. Excuse me. I go out there and grab that pig. And I bring that pig into the house. And she says, bring him on back here to the shower. Let's just clean him up real good. Matter of fact, we'll use your body wash. And she's washing him. And she says, all right, let's, let's put some shampoo on him. And we're sitting there. And hey, let's make sure that we get all the mud out from underneath this. What, do pigs have hoofs? Is that what they have? Okay, we're going to get it all out. And, 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 and we're there. And she says, you know what? Oh, you know what would help this pig? Let's get the hair dryer. Let's dry him real good. And she takes a blue ribbon, ties it around his neck, says, you know what? Let's put some Chanel number five right behind his ear. Oh, this is a, oh, look at this pig. This pig's been cleaned up. Oh, look at this. This is a reformed pig. 
stakes that pig into our living room, plops him down right in the middle of the floor. And here I am with a pig living in my house. Do you know what's going to happen the first time I open that back door? That pig's going to go straight to the mud. Why? Because that's what pigs do. Pigs wallow in the mud. That is their character. That is their nature. Over in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, I want you to listen to what he says there. He says, the pig that was washed has returned to wallowing in the mud. 2 Peter 2, 22. It's the grossest verse in all the Bible. Because right before that, do you know what it says? A dog returns to its own vomit. I was going to leave that out. But y'all made me mad the way you wouldn't sing real loud. (laughs) That's the nature, right? You can clean up your dog. You can feed your dog by making its own food. And oh my goodness, no, I can never give him bag food. I've made rice and I've made this special kind of protein. And oh my goodness, no, 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 no. He has his own bed and you know, and and you can do all this kind of stuff. The reality is when you're not at home and you've left the bathroom door open, guess where he's drinking from? He's a dog. I know he's on your Christmas cards. I know you like to send Christmas cards from your dog to me. I find it humorous, but he's a dog. We could sit and debate, are they going to be in heaven with us or not? I don't know. I don't want to make you mad. I'll just leave it alone. (laughs) It's the nature of a pig. It's the nature of a, of a dog. That's what that passage is saying. So what does it mean about you and I? It means if your character has never been changed, your behavior won't be changed either. But when your character has been changed, your inside has been changed because you've been reborn in Jesus Christ, the conduct will follow suit. Friend, if you claim to be a Christian, the reality is you can claim to be anything. But if you claim to be a Christian, you spend most of your time wallowing in the moral filth and the sinful mud out there, and you're having a grand time, and you have no conviction over that, and you have no guilt over that, and you have no remorse over that whatsoever. Quit calling yourself a Christian, but according because according to God's Word, you've not been changed. You've spiritually not been reborn. Here's what I mean. You may be a religious person. You may be keeping all your list. Mm. But if you're at home in the mud, your nature's never been changed. And there are some of you that have been changed, and there are some of you that have been saved. And and what happens is when you get in that mud, because we know that we're always going to have struggles with staying out of the mud, and you get in that pit like some of you have been in, and some of you guys even find yourself in right now, and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God is heavy upon you, and you're like, what in the world am I doing here? And you have remorse, and you have guilt, and something inside of you says this, that's not your name. The Spirit of God says that's not who you are. That's who you used to be. And when you find yourself in that 
mud pit, you get up and you say, my goodness, I'm going back to my father. I'm going back to my daddy's house because this is not my nature. I don't feel at home in this situation. That's what salvation is. It starts with the change of your character, being born again. And it results in the changing of your conduct, the way you act. And that's the kingdom of God explained. But then he keeps going and he says, hey, I'll even continue to explain it by giving you three elements of what the kingdom of God is. He gives them to us right there in verse 17. He says that first of all, we have the righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does righteousness mean? Righteousness means that you are declared right before God. You are now in a right standing with God. You know, when we were working through the book of Romans, if you'll remember, in Romans chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, it talked about it. Look at what it says. Romans 10, 3 and 4. For they, and the they there is talking about the Jews. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, so you remember what the Jews were doing? The Jews were saying, okay, hey, hey, we're going to be in right standing with God. And here's how we're going to be in right standing with God. We're going to keep all of God's commandments. So we have God's commandments. And they said, we're going to build a fence around God's commandments. That fence was a new set of rules. And we'll build a fence around the commandments saying we don't step over this fence. That way we'll never get close to breaking the commandments. And then they said, well, we're not, we, we we're afraid that first fence may be a little too close. We'll build a second fence. And so they built a second fence. It's a, it's a fence of rules and shouts and shout knots. And they said, if we don't step over the second fence, that means we won't step over the first fence. And that means we won't even get close to breaking one of his commandments. And so that's them. So he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ, oh my goodness, I wish some of you would underline this. For Christ is the end of the law. Oh, praise Jesus. Oh man, that's richer than you're acting. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That once you are born again, that once you are truly saved, God now looks at you through the filter of the righteousness of His Son and He declares you righteous. That that is your character. Not because of religion. Religion can never give you that. But because of a relationship. And if you don't desire to live right before others, if you don't desire to honor God with the life that you've been given, then your life and character has never been changed. And if you don't have a desire to live a righteous, holy, and clean life, you need to be born again. 
Because I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know if you've gravitated towards religion. I don't know if you've grabbed a hold of tradition. I don't know what it may be. But you've never met the one who changes lives, Jesus Christ. And we're not talking about living a perfect life. Please hear me. We know none of us can live a perfect life. But it means that you and I have a daily desire to live holy and pure and clean before the Lord. And when you stumble, you will. And when you fail, you will. When you do sin, you will. When you end up back in the pig pen, You say, this is not where I belong. This is not who I am. I'm going to get up and I'm going to repent. And I'm going to return to the Father. See, whenever you find yourself in the pig pen of sin, a great verse to remember that was written to believers. 1 John 1, 9. That's the verse you claim. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That that is the birthright for those that are in Christ. When I was growing up, my favorite toy to play with was an Etch-a-Sketch. You guys remember, do they still make those? Okay, they do. An Etch-a-Sketch, and you could, take, you could take the little wheels, and you could draw, and all that. Now, I'm not very artsy. I, I, I don't sit there and, ooh, I'm going to draw a picture. Uh, if somebody said, you know, draw a picture of a man, it's going to be a stick man. I'm just, I'm not, uh, one of my daughters, man, she has that brain, man. She is very good. We, I think every painting hanging in our house right now, she painted very, very talented. I don't have that, but I love that Etch-a-Sketch. And I would sit there and, you know, usually I would sit there. And, All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it real big. V-O-L-E. Oh, the S looks like a Z. Oh, it was supposed to say Vols. And it doesn't look right. And I said it was supposed to say Vols. It was, amen? <laughs> Y'all caught on, hadn't you? No. Here's what I loved about the Etch-a-Sketch, that if you made a flaw or a mistake, which was me most of the time, you flip that thing over, you shake it up, you turn it back over, you're like, wow, check that out. It's gone. I got a fresh new canvas. And some of you guys as well, you can remember that you would really, that are really good, you know, you figured it out, and you're like drawing real drawings and stuff on there, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever done. And then you set it down, and your little brother, little sister comes along, and they're like, First John 1 John 1.9 is the etch-a-sketch for the Christian. He, he, hear me. We're going to get in the mud. We don't want to get in the mud. If I can get in the mud and I'm happy being in the mud and I prefer to be in the mud and I don't have any conviction over the mud that I'm in, again, I go back, I've never had a nature change. Character's not different. But when I get in that mud, according to 1 John 1, 9, 
I call upon the Lord, I repent of my sin, and He washes me. He cleanses me. Now understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying sin separates the relationship. But God has called you and I to live clean before Him, and He's the only one that can take the mess that you and I have made of it and forgive us and cleanse us and shake us and get rid of the unrighteous stain that is there. That while you and I cannot live perfectly, we can live clean before the Lord because there is righteousness in the Holy Spirit. You're about to make me preach my voice gone. I got two more to go. The first element's the righteousness. The second element is peace in the Holy Spirit. Now, now, these are in order. Don't miss this. They're sequential. You can't have peace unless you have righteousness. You got to have that right standing with God, right? And then I have peace. Well, when we're in Romans chapter 5, it talked a little bit about peace. Verse 1 of Romans 5, listen to what it says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, talks about peace as well. Listen to what Philippians 4, 7 says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you're here this morning. You've been born again, right? You know Jesus as your Lord. You have a relationship with him. It is your birthright as a Christian to not only have peace with God, but to have the peace of God. You're like, well, what's the difference? A big difference. Peace with God means this. You and I are not at peace with God. Nothing you and I can do to earn a right standing of peace with Him. We just talked about this, right? Religion is that I'm going to work, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to do good, and I'm going to be good, and then all of a sudden God's going to declare me good. And we know that will not happen. So I'm not at peace with God because of our nature and because of our own choice. But through Jesus, I now am made at peace with God. But he says you can also have the peace of God. See, there are a lot of you here today that are listening to me, maybe even watching my television, that are listening to me, and you know that you're saved, right? You know that you've been born again. You know that you have the peace with God, but some of you are so stressed out as Christians. There's some that are so full of anxiety. My goodness, there are some of you that are as frustrated as a termite in a yo-yo. That's frustrating. There are some of you, you've bitten your nails so much, you, you, you've bitten them all the way up to the elbows. And you're like, well, I know that I'm saved. I know that I die. When I, and when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But I, I, I don't, I, I'm not claiming the, the peace of God that is mine. Why? By the spiritual birthright. And so you're sitting there and you're like, well, I, I trust that I'm saved. But I'm having a hard time trusting him with everything else. 
You have peace with God, and what else is rightfully yours is the peace of God. And you're not claiming that. And maybe you say, well, I mean, maybe I'd have peace if there weren't so many storms and problems in my life. Oh, hear me, friend. The peace of God is not the absence of storms. Unfortunately, here in Panama City in the Panhandle, uh, we know a little bit about hurricanes. You guys know as well as I do, what's right in the middle of that hurricane? The eye of the storm. What's the eye of the storm like? Well, on the front side of that hurricane, there can be winds up to 140, 150 or it, they may be so strong they knock the meters down and they don't know how hard they were. Can I get a witness on that one, right? And right in the middle of the hurricane, calm. Sun even comes out. I mean, you can see the clouds over there. Eerily calm. But there's a calm there. People who've never been through a hurricane before could be tempted to say, well, it's gone. I can come out. Everything's fine. Oh, no, there's a backside coming. And it's a big backside. Can I get a witness on that one, right? The peace of God is not just peace in the middle of the storm. It's peace at the front of the storm, at the back of the storm, and in the middle of the storm. It's not the absence of problems. It's not the absence of, of storms. No, no, no. It's the peace of God. And hear me, if you have the peace of God, you have peace with God. This is what he's been saying all along in Romans 14. You will live at peace with other people. Peace. Look in verse 19. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. So there may be another believer that disagrees with you on one of these non-essential issues. And if you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The righteousness of the Holy Spirit, the peace of the Holy Spirit, then you can live in love and peace with this other Christian that may disagree with you over a non-essential. Give you an example. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church. John Wesley believed very strongly in free will when it came to salvation. George Whitfield was a famous uh, British evangelist. He believed in Calvinism. And so they would debate, they would argue, they would go back and forth. There was a newspaper in London one time that heard about this disagreement and they're like, we need a story. Man, this would be a great story. Let's talk about the, the strife and the disagreement, the turmoil between Wesley and Whitfield. And so they, they, they interviewed George Whitfield. They asked him the question, do you think that you'll even see John Wesley in heaven? Whitfield said, no, I don't think I will see John Wesley in heaven. And they're like, oh my goodness, this is better than what we thought. 
I can't wait to have the headline that, that Whitfield said, John Wesley will not be seen in heaven. And then Whitfield continued. He said, no, I don't think I'll see John Wesley in heaven. Because John Wesley is such a godly man. He'll be so close to the throne of God. And I'll be so far away. I don't think I'll see John Wesley in heaven. See, see that's what he is saying here. Non-essentials, peace with the Holy Spirit of God. That they had a spirit of peace even though they disagreed over non-essential points. What are the elements? Righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Peace in the Holy Spirit. Here's the last one. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, you know how some people spell joy or say joy, right? They say joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. Now, don't write that down. Some of you are no, that's wrong. Don't write it down. Jesus, others, yourself. That's what they say joy is. I don't know if you heard that or not. I've heard that many times. Now, if you want to write something down, you can write this down. Here's joy. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> that's it. Jesus, I told you you could preach this. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is the only key to joy. Now, friend, I believe with all my heart that once you are truly born again, you cannot lose your salvation. It's not about how tightly you can hold on to Jesus. It's about how tightly he holds on to you. We sing a new hymn as if there could be such a thing. We sing a new hymn and it goes something like this. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Says a whole lot more about him than it does you you or I. But because of who he is, because of his power and his grace and his mercy and his strength, friend, when you're born again, even though there may be times that you get back in that mud hole and the nature says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? That even though you're in those times, he hasn't said, nope, you're no longer a child of mine. There is security in your salvation. There is the perseverance of the saints. And you can't lose your salvation, but I'm flat out telling you this morning, you can lose the joy of your salvation. Here's David, a man after God's own heart in Psalm 51. He says, oh, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Oh, friend, please hear me. There are a lot of you that are saved. When you die, you're going to go to heaven. But you are living right now without the joy of the Lord and you're missing out on the life that he has for you to live as a Christian, someone who is born again, someone who has been redeemed through Jesus Christ. There is a huge difference between enduring religion and enjoying the Christian life. And I made a decision a long, long time ago. I didn't care who else was going to be miserable as a Christian. And I've seen a lot of miserable Christians. I wasn't going to be miserable as a Christian. I pastored churches that tried to make me miserable. But I said, no, nope, not going to be me. I'm going to enjoy the joy 
joy of Jesus Christ and nobody's going to rob it from me, right? Nobody's going to steal it from me. Nobody's going to take it from me. It rightfully belongs to me because I'm a child of the one true king. Say amen to that one. Come on. It's easy, though, to be joyful when things are going well. Mm. Hmm. But we're to be rejoicing in all things. Now, please hear me. It doesn't say rejoice for all things. But rejoice in all things. Because no matter what's happening in life, he's still good. He's still holy. He's still merciful. He's still gracious. Well, I just don't feel like rejoicing. You ever said that? You ever thought that? I just don't, I just don't feel like rejoicing. Well, when you don't feel like rejoicing, that's when you ought to make the choice to rejoice. Did you know that you can act your way into a feeling a whole lot easier than feeling your way into an action? Oh, that's profound. I'm going to say that again. You can act your way into a feeling a whole lot easier than feeling your way into an action. I don't feel like rejoicing. I'm just going to wait until I feel like rejoicing. Well, you're not going to feel like it. I'm just going to wait till everything's good in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll be rejoicing at your funeral. Because that's the only time it's going to happen. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait until I feel, I'm going to wait for those, you know, those God bunts to come up on my arm. I'm going to, I'm going to wait for them to sing that one song, right? Or I'm going to, I'm going to wait for this to happen in my own life. I'm just going to wait until I feel like it. No, you start by choice. When you choose to rejoice, guess what? You'll start feeling like rejoicing. I promise you there are sun, Sundays that we come into this place and it's been a hard week or maybe it's been a hard morning. We see you guys pull up in the parking lot. Some of you fighting before you even get out of your car. And you walk into this place and you're like, oh, I got to get my face right. I got to get my face right. I want everyone to think that we're the family that has it all together. And by the way, if you're the family that has it all together, we've got a special section for you to sit in. It's right here. <laughs> Notice who all's up there. We had to get those sinful choir people out of the way to make it available for you. No. No. I'm going to rejoice because he's worthy of my joy, rejoicing. He's worthy of my praise. I'm going to choose, and then before you know it, I'll feel like it. I'm telling you, I learned more about rejoicing in the Lord, enjoying the Lord, from a woman that was a member of the church that I pastored in Tennessee a long, long time ago. Her name was Miss Linda Hazelwood. She had rheumatoid arthritis so bad that her hands were drawn in like claws. Hardly ever could she come to church. She was in constant pain. I'd go over to her home to see her. Her husband, Mr. Harold, it'd usually go like this. He'd say, 
Well, she's sitting at the kitchen table. Good to see you. I'm going to go on outside and do something so y'all can visit. And she was always so joyful, so encouraging. I said, Miss Linda, how can you be so, so joyous and joyful? I know you live in constant pain. I, I, know that, I know that there are things that you love to do and you can't do. Yet every time I come here, you're always just so happy. How do you do that? And she said, well, whenever I feel myself moaning and groaning, whenever I start having a pity party for myself, she said, there's a little song that I like to sing. And she didn't have a beautiful voice. And she said, it goes like this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm selling CDs after the service if you'd like to stop by and sow into my mint. No, I'm just kidding. How profound. She says, I make the choice to rejoice. Here's a woman that had every reason in the world not to rejoice. And so when I find myself moaning and groaning and whining and complaining, I think, my goodness, if there's anybody out there, she's since gone home to be with the Lord, and no longer is she shackled to that old body that was holding her hostage. But you know what? If there was anybody on the face of the earth had the right to complain and not have joy, it was her, and she's the one who radiated joy. You can act your way into a feeling a whole lot easier than feel your way into an action. And so as Christians, he says, we have righteousness, we have peace, we have joy in the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you today. Have you been born again? Has your character changed? Your desires have changed. Your want to has changed. And as a result of the character change, your conduct is different. That's the kingdom of God. That's Jesus. That's a relationship. See, Jesus and the cross changes everything. True story that happened many years ago. There was a young man by the name of Charles Murray. And he was training to be a U.S. Olympian in platform diving. You guys ever watch platform diving? at the Olympics and they'll go about 30 feet in the air and they walk out on that platform and they'll get all the way on the edge and they'll just barely get their toes out there. A lot of times they'll even turn their backs and then they, they jump off and they do all these twists and somersaults and I don't know what all they do. And I, I've watched it and tried to figure it out before and I, I just sit there and I'm like, okay, uh, they didn't make a big splash, that's a good one. They made a big splash, that's a bad one. But I think there's a lot more that goes into it than that. Charles Murray was one of those guys. He had grown up in a religious home. He himself was very religious until he hit high school. And students in high school, he said, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. I'm not going to be religious anymore. He went off to college and he was focusing on his Olympic career. 
And he had a friend that was on the swim team that was a Christian. That was, uh, he was a part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so this friend one day began to talk to Charles and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. He even gave him a religious track, or not a religious track, but a salvation track. Explained the gospel of Jesus. And so he asked him, he said, hey, would you like to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and would you like to be saved today? And Charles said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. No, no, thank you. And he said, well, would you at least keep this track so you can read it if you want to know more about Jesus? He took it and he couldn't get any peace. It was weighing heavy on him. And so he, like, he, he left college and he went home for a few days thinking, if I get out of here, maybe I can get a little bit of peace. While he was at home, he would read the track and he would reread the track and he would reread the track and he still couldn't get any peace. And he said, I know where my, where my peaceful place is. I'm going to go and I'm going to go to the, uh, the diving center where all the pools are and I'm going I'm to go dive because that's where I feel the strongest peace. And so because he was training for the Olympics, they'd given him his own key. He got back to campus late at night and he opened up the uh, facility where the diving took place. He went inside this indoor diving facility. He didn't even turn the lights on. He'd been in there many, many times and he climbed up and he was there on the platform. He went to the very edge of the platform. He turned his back, his toes just barely there. He raised his arms, getting ready to dive as he'd done many times. And he said when he did and his back was facing, all of a sudden, the very other opposite end of this facility, it's like the clouds moved back, the moonlight shone through, and when it did, there was an image of the cross right there on the wall. And he said he felt so strongly, God saying, what you're looking for is at the cross. What you're looking for is at the cross. Charles said that right there on that diving platform, 30 feet above the pool, he hit his knees and he cried out to God. And he said, to the best that he knew how, he just said, God, save me. I surrender to Jesus, save me. As he was crying out to God, all of a sudden someone came into the facility and he thought, who in the world would be in this facility this late at night? They turned the lights on. It was a maintenance worker. The maintenance worker had come to check on the repair that they had made two days before to their pool when they had drained all the water. And Charles said, there truly is safety and peace and hope. At the cross. Hear me. Today God wants to save you from more than just diving into an empty pool. There are some of you who have been diving and diving and diving. And you're like, I don't understand why I can't have peace. Peace is found at the cross. Peace is found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's this highly religious man, Nicodemus, and God said to him, or Jesus said to him, hey, you can be the most religious in the world, but have you been born again? Have you? 
Has your life changed so much on the inside that it's also changed on the out? Only then will you inherit the kingdom of God. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. And we would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.